Good morning, Rotobotters. How's it going out there? Pete Davidson here. Of course, by the time you actually listen to this, it might be afternoon, evening, tomorrow, who knows. Um, but we're back here with uh, another edition of the Rotobomb podcast. This is the final positional draft plan podcast that I'm going to do. We're talking receivers today. This is the big one in that we're probably going to hit a lot more players in this pod than we've hit in any of the other ones, simply because there are more receivers. We need more receivers. We start more receivers, yada, yada, yada. Um, so one last uh, thing uh, before we get going here, and I apologize the long windup, um, but A, I just need to listen to like at least a minute of that song because it's so amazing, and B, I wanted to get to the part where they, they hit the line that I put it in there for. Can you get to that? So for anyone who doesn't know, that song is Can You Get To That from the album Maggot Brain from uh, the band Funkadelic. And the reason I chose um, that line, that song, is because I think it's important for us to remember when we're drafting that we're drafting not just to make a good pick each time we come up, but we're drafting to get ourselves to a place where we can put up high scores. Um, And I mentioned um, in a podcast, oh gosh, a month or so ago, uh, I can't even remember which one, uh, but I was talking about how I like to go back before I start doing my rankings, before I start preparing for my personal drafts, and I like to look at what the standards were in the leagues that I was in last year. Basically, look at my teams from last year, all the ones that that won all their leagues. Nah, just kidding. Only only like 60% of my teams actually win. Just kidding again. Um, but it's it's seriously, it's important to go back and remind yourself of what championship teams look like and sometimes it's important not necessarily look at the champion because we know sometimes a team can sneak into the playoffs and sort of gump their way so it's probably more important to go look at the team that was the best team going into the playoffs the team that really owned the league all year and what did that team have to get there and what we usually find is that you have a team that looks impossible to draft via ADP right you're like man how did they get all these guys what did he do well what he did or she uh is They drafted smart while the elite players were still on the board. They didn't go non-elite when they could still draft elite, regardless of team build. Anytime you're drafting a player who's not elite and you're passing on a player who is, you're either making a mistake or if you've worked yourself into a very unfortunate position, if if that's actually the right thing to do. Uh, More often than not, no matter what kind of position I'm in, no matter how I may have worked my team into a corner, if I have a chance at a player that is relatively elite for the ADP we're at, I'm going to take that guy. I, nothing upsets me more in a draft when I have to pass on the better player. Uh, so much so that I sometimes, just out of hubris and stubbornness, I won't do it. I'll just try to trade, I'll try to trade or something. But the point is, we go back, we look at these teams from last year, and we say, man, how did they do it? How did I do it? You know, if you're the champ, right? You know, how did I, you know, do all this? And usually it has to do with... A, drafting well, tight, where it matters, and then understanding when it's time to really let go of floor and start swinging for ceiling. You know, rationally, you know, we've talked about how just because a guy has upside, if he has no real true possibility of hitting it, that's not actually upside. Um, Upside is a combination of a player with talent and a situation where that talent may be able to be used. But again, 
back to the point. We see these teams. We see how good they are. And it can almost become intimidating. If you've ever gone back and done this, you look at a team that put up, you know, uh, significantly more points than every other team in the league, and how did they do it? They did it by drafting tight and smart and then getting into that spot where you take appropriate swings at upside for players who actually have a realistic chance of hitting it. Now you have, you know, seven or eight or nine really good players. You have a handful of upside swings. One or two of them hits. Now you have an extra player or two that is startable every week. Your team's getting fat. Everybody's jealous of you, right? But it's not over. Now you're also going to go in there week one, week two of free agency, even week three, week four. It can be any week. It can be week 10. But we know that those big opportunities are there early on. And you want to be there punching, throwing big punches in the first wave, in the second and third wave of free agency. That's where you really hit big. And I tell you right now, you just go back through the years. If you go read, go to EEI and read my week one, two, three waiver wires, go back at Rotobon, read my early waiver wires. We're ahead of the pack. I'm not saying we're the only person talking about Player X, but we're generally one of the few, and we very rarely follow that shiny week one object. We're there telling you about the guy who's probably going to break out later, right? If you don't believe me, go back and read the waiver wire from last year. I, I don't even remember what the names are. Just go read it. I promise you, we were ahead of the curve. That's how you do it. You draft well early, you draft aggressively middle to late, and then you don't get satisfied. You go in there, even though you may not need players in early free agency, you hammer and hammer and hammer and get all the value, all that low-hanging fruit. You don't give it to the people chasing you, you make sure they don't get it so they can't catch up to you, and you widen the gap, right? So it's important to get into this mindset. Can you get to that? Can you get to that great number that that team did in your league last year that it seems almost impossible? Yeah, you can, but you're not going to get there by just trying to do well versus ADP with each selection, by building a team that looks good on paper. You need to build a functional team, and you need to think about being better than the pick indicates you can be. We always look for those players who don't justify the pick, but who can crush the pick. It's, it's a distinction that maybe not everybody is into making, but I promise you, if there's one thing that has helped me win a lot of fantasy leagues, and I've won a lot of fantasy football leagues, if there's one thing that's helped me, it's understanding that one basic concept. Who the heck can smash the heck out of this draft slot? Anytime you can take that person, you're really ahead of the game. And I, you know, again, staying in a position to keep all positions open is a big factor here. Now, today we're talking about receivers and keeping receivers open is a fairly easy task. So, you know, I'm a little bit off the ball here. We're, we're going back to tight ends and to quarterbacks. Again, the ability to keep those positions open, to have that available option to draft that position is in and of itself valuable, right? So we always want to draft with that in mind, keeping our options open. So when that amazing value hits, when Deshaun Watson is still there in the seventh or Russell Wilson is still there in the seventh, you're in a position to do it because you're not one of the gomers who took a quarterback in like the first round or something. Okay. <laughs> we're going to get into these receivers now. Um, so what we're going to do is um, we're going to sort of go through this by group via my ranking, not via ADP. Uh, I think this is a year to not care too much about ADP when it comes to receivers. They bump around a little bit once you get past like the sixth round. The important thing is to get your guys, okay? All right, let's get into this. 
Oh, and I'm, <laughs> I started getting into this before and then I got off on that tangent. Uh, but again, thanks to the folks who have made uh, donations to the website. Your donations keep us going. If you're a Rotobond user who's been using us over the years and you haven't donated, this is a really good time to do it. It'll help the site out. For those of you who are new, Again, how we roll, we're not asking, we're, we're not going to give you a long sales pitch. I mean, is there anything more annoying than having to, re you know, you, you must read this article before you draft or you will miss, you know, the top five best values. You crush your draft with our three-point plan, you know, just give us 50 bucks and you'll find out. I mean, we, we don't roll like that here. Um, so you can use the product. If it works for you, we trust you to be a good person on the back end and, and hook us up. Uh, and again, nothing made me happier than last year after Christmas when I got a handful of donations from people who won their leagues um, choosing to share at that point. It was pretty cool. And a couple of you guys gave, I, we got a couple hundred dollar donations and I really appreciate you folks who did that. Um, you know, you don't have to be a genius to figure out how much it costs to run a site like this, how much time it takes. Um, and when you guys put a little wind in my sails, it does nothing but help the site and it helps me too. So, um, thank you very much. Now let's get into these receivers. Okay. So we're going to sort of go through these guys in groups. Um, I'm going to talk about my top five receivers first. Uh, Michael Thomas and Devonte Adams. I have first round grades on, um, you know, a lot of people have made, uh, the, you know, I would say the valid point that Devontae Adams is probably in a slightly better target position than Michael Thomas, which <laughs> is pretty amazing when you think about it. Um, but, you know, I, th there are more receivers in New Orleans than there have been in the past. They brought in Manny Sanders. Uh, I'm a big believer um, in Traquan Smith, and he's been getting some pub lately. That's good, um, but maybe not good for Thomas. Obviously, if they've got more places to throw it, um, you know, Thomas's targets could dip a teeny bit. Obviously, there's only so far it could go. He's too good to be some type of afterthought, but we're talking about, you know, fighting for the lead in targets, uh, and, you know, Adams has got you know, really avoid around him talent-wise uh, compared to Thomas. So, um, you know, and I also think it's 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 worth mentioning that, you know, the Saints do like to spread the football. Um, now, they've had dominant players that have, you know, diminished that a little bit, but in an ideal sense, they like to spread the football, and we may see that more this year. So you might be saying, well, then, Pete, why don't you have Devontae Adams ahead of Michael Thomas? I, you know, I just don't worry about Thomas is the thing. Um, with Adams, we've got head injuries. We've had some other injuries. I don't know how well he holds up to the beating he's going to take. So I, you know, and this is touchy-feely and feel free to overrule me on this. I, I wouldn't bat an eyelash if you told me you took Devante first, especially in redraft. A, a completely reasonable thing to do. For me, I just feel so much more comfort, comfort level with Thomas and that offense that I'm going to take that. Now, the truth of the matter is I'm not really targeting either one because I'm pretty committed to running back early this year. But if, you know, we're talking receivers and for me, just by the hair of his chinny chin chin, I'm going to go Michael Thomas, then Devontae Adams. Uh, up third is Julio Jones. Uh, reasons for this are obvious. He is a complete and utter freak. Now he does have a target you know, guy on the other side of him now. There's no doubt uh, that Calvin Ridley's going to get his share. Uh, there's no doubt that the tight end's going to get his share. There's no doubt that Julio Jones is going to see the most coverage of the top targets on that team. So I think we're going to be looking at a sort of a typical Julio kind of year. Um, and obviously the touchdowns, for whatever reason, don't seem to happen for him. Uh, but 
still elite, still a guy I'm willing to take just about anywhere. If you told me, hey, I want to take Julio Jones at 10, I mean, pff, you're not going to get an argument from me. You know, it really, in all honesty, once the top you know, three or four running backs are off the board, if you wanted to take Julio Jones, there's really nothing wrong with it. Um, Tyreek Hill, next guy up. Um, some injury risk because he's so tightly wound. We've seen some things popping up, but you know, generally he's been out there and been crushing it. Um, you know, obviously I'm not personally a fan of the guys we talked about last year. But, you know, at some point, if you need to take a receiver and you're in that part of the draft, you are probably hurting yourself if you were to reach, you know, uh, you know, for some guy who's not on his level. Now, if you want to take DeAndre Hopkins instead of Tyreek Hill, uh, I got no problem with that. Um, now, let's just stick on Hill for just a real quick second. He's the number four overall guy on my board. Let's give him a little bit um, of respect for why that is the case. Um, look. Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid, uh, Hill is completely proven at this point. Uh, he's far and away the number one receiver on that team. Uh, teams cannot go all out to stop Hill because they've got dangerous players all over the place. Uh, he's going to have his monster games. There's just no way around it. Um, next up, DeAndre Hopkins. I've pulled him down a little bit because I've seen him going so late. So, I, I, you know, he's now sort of there to remind you that you can take DeAndre Hopkins mid to late second round now. Now, I have no problem if you're looking to go receiver early to mid second and you want to take Nuke. I think it's perfectly reasonable. So, you know, again, all of these guys are relatively close. Jones, Hill, and Hopkins are very close. Take them in whatever order makes you comfortable. They, they all have different types of, you know, benefits and, and, and risks. But, you know, in terms of total value, they're all very similar to me. You know, Hopkins, a slight downtick last year, I guess. Sure. Um, I think it was more about the team than him. Um, I think he's going to light it up with Kyler Murray. Uh, Kyler Murray, in some ways, is... You know, even better than the quarterback Hopkins is coming from. Of course, in some ways, not so. Uh, he's less experienced, and he is, you know, I, Kyler maybe is going to be more susceptible to injury. We don't know yet. Uh, hopefully, Kyler is going to be good at avoiding, like, all those shots that Michael Vick took to the shoulders back in the day. You know, we worry about quarterbacks who run getting hurt. You know, like last year we were talking about Josh Allen and all the pins in his shoulder. You know, for a pocket quarterback, maybe I wouldn't worry about it as much. For a guy who leads with his damn shoulder, it's a little bit of a concern. Um, but, you know, when it comes to Nuke, you're talking about a guy going to a, a scheme that just wants to throw. So, I don't know. To me, he's going to a good quarterback situation. He's clearly going to be the number one receiver. This is a team that wants to air it out. I think his route tree is going to maybe be a little bit more dynamic now, more expanded, I think you're going to see more vertical targets for him. I don't think he's going to be the low A dot guy that we've seen over the last couple of years. I think that's fits. So, you know, we'll see how this thing pans out, but I think there's more upside with Hopkins. And then the other thing about Hopkins that I think is underestimated is how good he is when the play breaks down. Uh, and, you know, obviously, uh, just like his last quarterback, we're talking about a guy in Kyler Murray who can extend plays. So that's the top five. Let's move on to the next group. Um, it's a sort of it's sort of a, a smallish group. My my six, seven, eight, nine, and ten group. These are all receivers who I think can reasonably slip into the end of the second round. Um, in fact, a lot of them do it on a regular basis. Evans is my six. I've got him ahead of Godwin. I just 
I just think he's a better receiver. I don't, you know, I don't, I love Chris Godwin. I think technically he's really good. Physically he's good. Um, he's going to be a good NFL receiver for a long time. But I think a lot of what he did last year is a product of the situation and the volume. Um, you know, Mike Evans does it no matter what. He's always done it. He's never not done it. Um, you know, and Brady is a smart quarterback. You know, I, I think people are underestimating the potential for Brady to go off the age cliff. I think people are underestimating the potential negative effects of playing on a below average line. He's coming from a place where even when the talent was mediocre, the line play was good because they know what they're doing in New England. So now, not to say that Arians doesn't know what he's doing, but Arians does have a tendency to take risks with his quarterback safety. It's something he does. His quarterbacks get hit a lot. They have to run around a lot, even when they're not mobile. Like, you know, Carson Palmer got not, I mean, Palmer got injured, it's fair. But, I mean, you know, Palmer was taking hits. Last year, we saw those quarterbacks on Tampa. They were running around. So, last two years. So, if Brady has to run around, he's dead. Tom Brady's not extending plays, folks. Unless he can climb the pocket, it's over, in my opinion. So, you know, that's a factor. Um, now, look. If they tighten this thing up, if the protection's a little better than advertised, if they go a little bit more rhythm Brady, getting the ball out of his hand, wearing the defense down, taking long shots once they've sort of gotten a defense softened up for it, I think they could have a lot of success. But this talk of them throwing a lot of deep stuff, being a, a deeper target offense, I don't know. I To me, it, it you're asking for trouble. Um, of course, me thinking out in front of Bruce Arians is maybe me asking for trouble. But look... You know, sometimes people have a rosy view of something and the reality doesn't always hit them. I think this is one of these situations where they're seeing all of Brady's upside and it could happen. I'm not saying Brady is, you know, couldn't be really good this year. Maybe he will be. But I think there's more downside than people are talking about, um, which is why I have Evans here instead of, you know, up in the group ahead of him. I see a drop off from the top five to Evans and the guys in this group. Allen Robinson's next up. Love him. He's been uh, unbelievable, uh, but you know, you know. I think it's good, and the reason he's so high is because I think he has two quarterbacks who can actually help him for fantasy now. I mean, neither one of these guys is gr are great NFL quarterbacks as we speak, but they can get the job done for fantasy. I mean, look, what Robinson's done, he has done with bad quarterback play. Uh, I think now, look, Trubisky should be at least a season better. Now, that's in Trubisky land so it's not like he's not going to suddenly turn into freaking Jim Plunkett but I do think he'll be a, a you know one step better uh, and Foles is better than Chase Daniel so the level of QB play should be better this year than last year and you have at least one level of redundancy that you didn't really have before that's good um, next up is Odell Beckham now Beckham was hurt last year. He's not hurt this year. The line was bad last year. It's not bad this year. They played a really tough schedule. They don't play one this year. There's so many reasons why Beckham's going to bounce back. And quite frankly, if I wasn't really so set in my ways about going running back in the second round, I might consider Beckham in the second round because, as you know, I'm just a big believer in his talent. But there's just no reason to pay non-third round prices. Odell Beckham is consistently getting into the third round. You should be able to scoop him up there. Um... So, I, you know, that's where I've got him ranked. I think he's a really nice player. I have gotten Odell Beckham as late as pick 49. Um, and I got him really late um, in a couple drafts. It's amazing. Now, he has moved up. People have sort of wised up to what's going on here. I think a lot of people 
They don't look at things like schedules, and they didn't look at the reality of last year. Playing hurt, not having time to run the deeper parts of his route tree, a quarterback struggling against a high level of competition and without protection. A lot of that stuff's going to get better this year. And I think don't forget about Cleveland when you think about schedule. I think it makes Chubb more valuable, and I think it makes Beckham more valuable. It probably makes the quarterback more valuable. Uh, and I think Jarvis Landry as well is going to have a good year. Let's go to Adam Thielen. Okay, Thielen should get more slot love this season versus last, I think. Not a lot. He's probably going to play more outside than anywhere else, but I think when they need to get him off, they can always move him into the slot. They don't have anybody who really owns that spot, okay? And that's good. Uh, I also, you know, Diggs isn't there. So Thielen is just obviously the number one target in this offense. I believe with Kubiak there, they're going to be allowed to throw a little bit more. I don't think Zimmer is going to come down and start yelling at Gary Kubiak, telling him, you know, stop throwing the football. Uh, at the very least, it'll be done respectfully. Um, so I really do think they will have the ability to throw more in neutral situations now if they see that as being beneficial. Uh, Kubiak obviously is one hell of an offensive coordinator. Um, and then the other thing is Minnesota's defense has slipped, so they may be in game scripts that lean to the pass a little bit more this year. So big on Thielen, unless we hear something about that hamstring being a problem again, I'm pretty much all systems go there. Uh, Godwin, still in my top 10. Um, he's, you know, if you're going by my rankings, Godwin's going to go ahead of the ranking and you're not really going to have him to think about. Basically what I'm saying here is that Godwin's not a round two target for me. That's all. Uh, I'm fine with him in the third. Um, and now we're going to move into the next group and, you know, there's sort of, I mean, DJ Moore sort of is by himself here. I could have just included him in the last group. He stands a little bit ahead of everybody who's about to come after him. The reason I'm not leaned in on DJ Moore as much as some other people, we've talked about this, uh, but it's just a matter of how much I respect all the players in that offense. They can't throw it to Moore when they're throwing it to McCaffrey. They can't throw it to Moore when they're throwing it to Ian Thomas. And the other two receivers are really, Robbie Anderson's a really good receiver, and he's a better, Robbie Anderson's a better deep threat than DJ Moore. Robbie Anderson's a better deep threat than Curtis Samuel. Now, he won't get open as easily as Curtis Samuel, but he's got better ball skills. We've seen it. Um, so this is, you know, Carolina's got a wonderful trio because they all have overlap, but they're also all unique from the three of them. You know, Robbie Anderson's a little bit more pure deep threat, but he can do mid-range and, and low-range stuff. Obviously, when you look at Samuel, he's just built to get yards after the catch, but he can also stretch the field to make plays downfield if he'll just deliver an accurate pass. And Moore, obviously, can work all three levels at a pretty high level. Um, and I do believe Moore is the number one. I don't have a problem with that. But the idea that any number one on this team is going to run away from everybody, I mean, Moore is going to have to be phenomenal to just just take all the targets. He's just going to have to be phenomenal. And I, I'm to me, predicting that is just being disrespectful to the other four primary components in this passing game. So that's all it is. It's just a factor of targets. If you took DJ Moore and put him on the Dolphins and took, uh, you know, Parker and put him on some other team, then we might talk. Then DJ Moore could be looking at 150 target year and we could start getting really excited for him to be an elite wide receiver one. So much of this has to do with not the quality of the player, but the quality of the platform and how we see the targets flowing. It's something that, you know, if that's not something you remember, think about it because we don't rank receivers based on the quality of the receiver in redraft. We rank them based on the likely, you know, what we think they're going to do in terms of points. Points is what matters, okay? So that's where I am with more. Now we're going to move into this tier. 
this tier that just, you know, it's the thing that we sort of have to talk about with these receivers, this tier that just goes on and on for rounds. Um, it starts in the third, and it really runs right up into the sixth round. Um, and it's, it's maybe apart from the running, you know, the, apart from the running backs going incredibly early, I think this receiver tier might be the most important part of the draft for a lot of people. So let's really get into this. And when I say it's the most important of the, you know, part of the draft, I say that for a reason. And I think it's really important to understand when you see a position, and we'll go with Calvin Ridley, who I've got ranked at 31 right now. That could change in the coming days, up or down a little bit. These rankings are still moving. But when you look at Calvin Ridley, and then go down to my 68th ranked player, and my let's go to 62. Let's go to Will Fuller at 62. I mean, there's not much gap between those players. In fact, on a healthy week, I'd rather have Will Fuller in my lineup than Calvin Ridley. The reason Fuller's down there is just because of injury risk, right? And let's so you know, let's forget those. You know, go up to T.Y. Hilton at 56, right? It's T.Y. Hilton, man. Devontae Parker at 55. Amari Cooper at 50. Some people might be like, dude, Amari Cooper at 50? Are you high? It's <laughs> a reasonable question in my case. I'm not. But, you know, you need to put someone at 50. That's the point of this whole thing I'm leaning into here. I could easily move Cooper up to 30, right? And I could move Calvin Ridley down to 50. You know, I've got Kenny Galladay at 32. DK Metcalf at 40. Not much gap there, but I had to stick some running backs in. This long group of receivers, uh, again, almost, gosh, you know, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, about 21 guys. That's a big chunk of receivers. All very good. All guys I absolutely will just stick into my lineup every single week and be fine with it. But these players stretch from the middle of the third to the middle of the sixth, roughly. Right? Which means I can jump in in any of these rounds and do really well at receiver. In fact, most of these receivers, most, have top 12 upside. Meaning they can be my number one receiver for fantasy if the rest of my team is good enough. So what does that say to us about strategy? Why would we be taking middling running backs in the fourth and fifth round when we can get receivers that could be our number one? It, it, you know, I know a lot of us are contrarian. I'm totally contrarian myself. I'm not about to accuse you guys of anything I wouldn't accuse myself of, okay? But I think sometimes there's a tendency to be too contrarian, to say hey, everybody's going running back in these first two rounds, so I'm going to go receiver. But what ultimately happens there is that you end up with your Mike Evans against my DJ Shark or my Cooper Cup or my Terry McLaurin. And at the running back spot, I'm throwing up, you know, Nick Chubb against your Le'Veon Bell. So, you know, good luck with that. Um, and, you know, I was kind. It could be a lot worse than that. So when we're taking these 50-50 running backs, when there's, you know, 90% receivers on the board, and we're trying to catch up to people who have elite running backs and receivers who are just a little bit off the ones we took in the second round, you're getting into a problem from a competition standpoint. So it just, you know, again, I love trying to be smarter than the pack. I love being the guy to say, no, don't do what everybody else is doing. But the truth of the matter is, 
going RB heavy in rounds one, two, and three, it makes all the sense in the world because these dark receivers are going to be there for you in rounds four and five. It's a lock. It's a effing lock. So for me, I'm looking to go running back in the first round. I'm looking to go running back in the second round. If a running back I really like is there in the third, I will absolutely take like James Conner in the third round. Or we've talked a lot about it. I will take Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, in the third round. I'll do it. And now I'm sitting there with, and I'm not talking about necessarily working from a strong draft position. Maybe I'm sitting there with, you know, Mixon and uh, Chubb and, you know, Taylor. Or maybe I'm sitting there with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Mixon, Taylor. Or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Connor in the second round, Taylor in the third. Any of these scenarios is, they may not sound amazing, but believe me, once you sit there and take those three running backs and then your next two picks are like McLaurin and Cortland Sutton, you're going to be feeling pretty good or maybe even better. Maybe it's, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you get Calvin Ridley um, and, uh, you know, Cooper Cup. I mean, there's all kinds of combinations that are happening because no matter what a draft does, they can't stop these receivers from sneaking into the fifth round. There's no way to do it. Your worst case scenario are guys like Devontae Parker and T.Y. Hilton. That's like that's like worst case. So it's really hard to mess a fantasy team up if you're building it this way. Just take the running backs that are top rated in the first two rounds. And then take best player on the board, hopefully a running back in the third. Then bang out two, maybe three receivers. And you're going to be in great shape. Where I really want to be this year, ideally, the ideal draft, and I think I've mentioned this a couple times, is four running backs, four receivers going into the ninth round. If that's where I am, and I didn't do any reaching or compromising to get there, man, you're not going to want to play my team. I'll tell you that right now. So let's just go through these guys real quick. okay? But again... These guys are so close. And I'm going to talk about that as we go through. Calvin Ridley, I've got him as my 12th. So he's technically my last receiver one. But I'm so not worried if I don't get him because Galladay's right behind him. And Galladay's big time too. And right behind Galladay is DK Metcalf, who could have more upside than any of these guys if Seattle just decides to do the right thing. A.J. Brown behind him. Love A.J. Brown. I talked about him on Twitter the other day. I don't see the ceiling that some people see, but... He's so good, and that offense, I mean, he's clearly the best receiver on that team at this point. He's going to get floor production. And if things break, and if people are right and I'm wrong, and they decide to let Tannehill throw it all over the field, A.J. Brown could end up with second-round value. D.J. Shark, really exciting player. Not the polished receiver that some people seem to think he is, but man, is he a freak talent? And he is, and he's what he has shown, and I absolutely admit that I was too low on Shark when he was a rookie. 100% I admit it. And I've said, you know, Coach Turner was on him, and I, I should have just said, Coach, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you, but I didn't. I was too low on DJ Shark. I'm not anymore. His skill set is really perfect for this situation, right? What He's a guy you just want to take shots at. And he's going to be playing in a team that's going to be behind all the time, so they're going to take a lot of shots at him. Um, and what's nice is that if LaVisca hits, they're going to have to deal with all this underneath stuff that's going to open up stuff for Shark down the field. So I like DJ Shark's situation a lot this year. So I'm not worried about which receiver I get in this scenario. They're all wonderful. Who's the next guy on the list? Juju. Juju was in the first round a couple years ago, right? So 
I'm very comfortable taking Juju Smith-Schuster as my first or second receiver. Next up is Tyler Lockett. I was sitting there yesterday, I'm like, how can I get not get Lockett higher than this? Well, I could. I can just stick him a little higher. Lockett really belongs anywhere in this list, wherever you want to put him. And truthfully, the reason I put Lockett down is just because he's so tiny. And he's gotten hurt a couple times. He's had some major injuries and he's small. That's what puts him down here. If Tyler Lockett stays healthy all 16 weeks, he will perform like the guys five, six, seven, eight spots ahead of him on this list. Cooper Cup's the next guy up. Love Cooper Cup. Would love to push him higher too. But to push him higher, i got to move one of these other guys down. And the truth of the matter is, from Ridley to Cup, I have pretty much the same redraft grade on these guys. And that goes for the next guy in the list, Terry McLaurin. Now, McLaurin, why isn't he even higher? Well, because I don't know enough about Washington. <laughs> they're, they're sort of an enigma right now. But I've got him pretty high, right? I've got him in the fourth round. And the reason is, like, you guys know how much I love McLaurin from last year, but you know he's clearly the number one option on this team. Even if they're not throwing as much as people seem to think they're going to, he's going to get a lot of targets and he's going to crush. Now, the quarterback position, you know, position is, we don't know. So that's some, a bit of an issue. Robert Woods is up next. Now, he's sort of the safe play. In this group, I think I don't think Woods has, you know, uh, wide receiver one ceiling unless it's sort of a down year. Like he sneaks into the end of the wide receiver ones maybe, but you know, not in not in a way that he separates himself from the guys in the mid level, the wide receiver twos. But you gotta love Woods. You're getting such a strong floor, so you gotta love having Robert Woods. Next up is Cortland Sutton. Love Cortland Sutton. You guys know that. And I like that team. The reason Sutton isn't higher on the list. And again, could easily just push him up to where freaking Metcalf is. Easily. Without batting an eye. Um, the reason I have Sutton down just a teensy bit is because I think that offense could be just a little bit slow to start. That's it. I think that offense is going to... I mean, I wrote a whole article on that offense. If you haven't read it, I think it's still on the Rotobahn homepage. Just go in the Rotobahn search thing and type Drew Locke. You'll find it. It's easy. I think that... Things are going to go really well for Sutton overall in the year. I do think he'll probably gain steam throughout the year as that offense gets into sync. Because you've got a new coordinator there, a new quarterback coach. The only thing that's really stabilized from the prior year is the offensive line coach. Keenan Allen's next up. Keenan Allen. This guy was arguably a first-round talent a couple years ago. Certainly has been a second, third-round kind of talent for a long time. Now I've got him towards the end of the fourth. Does he belong there? Not really. You could easily take him and put him where Ridley is. Easily. Just like everybody else on this list. These guys are jam-packed. Which is why the winner is going to be the person who attacks the end of this tier. The guy who's getting these guys at 4th and 5th round prices is winning. Right? Now, there's nothing against taking one of these guys in the 3rd. And I mean nothing. You're just not winning as much with that pick as you will be winning with the 4th and the 5th round pick. Right? Where you're going to get crushed in this thing is if you're taking... Those, those mid-level running backs or reaching for the fifth tight end or reaching for, God forbid, like the seventh quarterback if you're in one of these leagues where everybody's taking quarterbacks. If everybody is taking quarterbacks in your league, the last thing you want to do is be another one of these people taking quarterbacks in the fourth round when what these people are effectively doing is pushing some of these elite receivers maybe even into the sixth. What you want to do is be the guy taking elite players while everybody is reaching for single position players. Okay, let's keep going here. Keenan Allen again. 
you want to take Keenan Allen where I have Ridley ranked? I got no problem with it. None. You, you can order these receivers any way you like. It almost doesn't matter at all. I mean, it will in the end run, but, you know, from a standpoint of going in, it just doesn't matter. They're all really, really good. Amari Cooper is next. Some people probably going, Pete, I don't even know if I want to read your rankings after seeing where you have Amari Cooper. <laughs> I know there's people thinking it. I know there are, and it's fine. It's actually, a, you know, except for the not listening to me part, it's a reasonable complaint. <laughs> the reason Cooper's down here is simply a target thing. He's got two other really good receivers on his team. Now, Cooper has been pushed down. I had to push Gallup down too. I think pe people will probably be more upset about where I have Gallup. Some people, because there's these, some people think Gallup's like, you know, the next Randy Moss or something. I like Gallup quite a bit. But he's got to share the football with two other extremely talented receivers, because C.D. Lamb's big time, in my view. And they've got a good tight end that people don't realize is good. And they have running backs to target. The ball is going to move around on this team. If Devontae Parker, excuse me, if, <laughs> sorry, if Amari Cooper ends up elite, if he ends up like a guy who should have been taken in round one, I, then he had an ungodly amazing year and stayed healthy all year. And I personally haven't really seen him do that. Amari Cooper's really, really good. He's not great. I'll die on that hill. Really, really good. But he's not hes not a Megatron. He's not even a Terrell Owens. Okay? Damn good receiver. But he's an on-the-ground receiver. Amari Cooper beats you with routes, with hands, and by being on a really good team. And if you go back to the year where he really lit it up, man, he had like three or four plays where things went off helmets, receivers fell down, where he's jogging 50 yards down the field for a touchdown. There is some noise or looseness in the stats. And I'm not trying to kill Amari here. I like Amari Cooper. I think he's a really good football player and a really good receiver. I'd love to have him on my team. But he is not so good. He is not so elite that he's going to be able to get like 150 targets or something on a team like this. He's going to have to do more with less. If you want to take Amari Cooper in the third round, go for it. It's not going to kill you. In fact, maybe he's a little better than I'm giving him credit for. Maybe it helps you. He's just one more example of this tier being ridiculous. So let's go to the next guy, Devontae Parker. Now, Parker's a guy I prefer to target in the sixth. If you're in a really tight league that's making a lot of good picks, he becomes viable in the fifth. In most leagues, I think he'll push to the sixth. But in some leagues, if everybody's drafting really smart, it'll be a little sooner. Love him. Love him this year. T.Y. Hilton. If he stays healthy, he's going to outperform this draft position. If you want to take T.Y. Hilton, uh, you know, ahead of Cooper and Parker, don't have a problem with it. You want to take him ahead of some of these other guys, I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's a mistake, but it's T.Y. Hilton. The problem I have for T.Y. is the injuries plus, I, I, you know, I think you have a team where their disposition is to just get ahead and run the freaking football. If they cannot use T.Y. Hilton to win a game, I think they're very happy with that. That's where I get into trouble with T.Y. If he was going to be heavily targeted, I'd move him up. Marquise Brown, Hollywood. Checking in at 61 on my board, wide receiver 27. Love getting Hollywood in the sixth round. You will see him going in the fifth. I don't really like taking him in the fifth because I want to see him play a year without getting hurt. You know, we saw all the good parts with Hollywood last year, and he's amazing. 
but we do, if they're going to lean on him more, more volume means more contact. And we're going to, I want to sort of see how that happens. Ideally, I want Hollywood in the sixth round. Will Fuller, a guy who I've been getting in the seventh round, eighth round. I got him in like the 11th or the 12th round of the Scott Fishbowl. Just insanity. Don't even ask me how that happened. Will Fuller is always going to be an injury risk. It's not just because he's got a brittle body, and I think to some extent maybe he does. That's very debatable, actually. Maybe, maybe not. But there's no doubt that Will Fuller's style of play, the fact that he is willing to lay out for everything, and anything and everything, whatever, the fact that he just plays balls to the wall all the time, sometimes that leads to head injuries, shoulder injuries, that kind of thing. Will Fuller lands on the wrong part of his body a lot, like Mike Williams, if you will. So that's a factor. So that's the only reason Fuller's so low on my board. Quite frankly, if you told me Will Fuller was playing 16 games, I would probably put him up around Beckham. That's how good he is, playing with Deshaun Watson on a team that no longer has Nuke. But I'm not going to sit here and move Fuller way up my board because I want to put him in an area where you can target him effectively and get value right? It, Will Fuller's going regularly in the seventh round of drafts that I've been in. So I'm willing to take him in the sixth so I don't have to mess around with not getting him in the seventh because he's such an insane value. So look, we just went through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever, you know, about, about, about 18 receivers. And we're really not done, by the way, there's a whole bunch of names we're about to go through. But we, you know, we've now, our next receiver is number 30 on the list. Now, it's really important. One thing I really want to see people see is Jarvis Landry's 30, right? Now, by the time we get to this area on the board, I would be really upset if I don't have at least two receivers. And I want at least two receivers before we get to Tyler Boyd. Really before we get to T.Y. Hilton. But really, before we get to Cooper, to be honest with you, I want of my of the top twenty three guys on my board. I want two of them, and it really shouldn't be hard to do. You just use your fourth and fifth round picks on receiver. That's all. It's really all you need to do. And if you end up having to take a Hilton, a Hollywood, a Fuller, a Devonte Parker, that's okay. Those guys are really good. But ideally, I'd like those guys to be your third round taken in the sixth. Like that's perfection. Like if you can go running back running back, running back, and then in the fourth round you take, you know, Shark, A.J. Brown, Metcalf, Juju, Lockett, Cup, one of those guys, and then in the fifth you get McLaurin, Sutton, somebody like that. And then in the sixth round you pick up Hilton, Hollywood, Will Fuller, something like that. Man, you're in, you're just in, <laughs> you're in really, really good shape. All right, let's keep talking here. Let's go down to Jarvis Landry. Landry's a guy, I mean, I want to move him up, but I don't know enough of how they're going to do the route trees. I don't know what the route design is going to look like. So, you know, that has a lot to do with where I'm valuing Landry. If he's going to be working over the middle exclusively, I think that hurts him. I want to see him running routes from everywhere. We'll see. But the thing with Landry is this. If, if he has a really good year, he can move up into that Robert Woods area, that Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper area. I think on his worst year, he doesn't move much down past Christian Kirk, Deontay, Julian Edelman. So I like 
Landry if I can get him in the seventh, eighth round, and I've been getting him in the seventh, eighth round. It's ridiculous. And when you're getting a guy in the seventh, eighth, there's no reason to start taking him in the sixth, even if I sort of have him ranked there. Okay, next guy is Stefan Diggs. Love the player, but I do think we have to, uh, you know, on some level account for the fact that Allen will miss him when he's open sometimes when Cousins probably wouldn't have. We have to account for the fact that there are other guys on this team that can separate like he can. And we have to account for the fact that the quarterback likes to run. So I think Diggs is going to do really well. I think he's going to be a weekly starter. I don't think I want to, you know, you want to take him ahead of Tyler Boyd. You want to take him ahead of Will Fuller. You want to take him ahead of Marquise Brown and Hilton. Uh, I'm not going to freak out on you personally for me. I'd rather take those guys because I think the, the volume is safer with them. But Diggs, my, my, my 31 receiver right now on the board, you know, I really like him <laughs> as a 31st receiver. I think for the most part, people are going to take the name and not look at the situation. Diggs may have some big weeks. Now, he's a guy who can put up 200 yards and three touchdowns in this offense. But I do think there are going to be some three for 31 weeks mixed in there when they just do it in other ways. You know, this this can be a team where the running backs and the quarterbacks get all the and the quarterback gets all the touchdowns. So like Diggs, but I'm not pushing him up into this higher, more elite area. Not because of him, but because of the platform. And the other thing about Diggs is, and this is actually important, John Brown, I, I've said this, John Brown and Diggs for me don't have that much separation in terms of the fantasy points they're gonna score this year. Meanwhile, the difference between them and ADP is a ton. I've gotten I've gotten Brown in the 14th round of some drafts. 14th round. Now, granted, I've seen him go in the 10th too. But Diggs is going in the the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, maybe. So you've got a big gap between these two players. So for me, I'd much rather have John Brown there later on and take him and get a piece of this offense than pay a lot for Stefan Diggs. And that's not a knock on Diggs. It's more of a nod to Smokey. Okay. Next guy up is A.J. Green. A.J. Green's very interesting. I was really on him until he tweaked the hamstring. Now I need like a week of practice reports. I need to hear he's going full steam. If he is, I will move him up, a, up ahead of Diggs, ahead of Landry, probably ahead of Boyd. I'll move him right into that Will Fuller zone because that's basically what he'll be. A guy who's a really great fantasy asset as long as he's healthy enough to play. So A.J. Green's a guy I think we really want to keep our eyes on. There becomes a point where if Green slips into that eighth round, like he has been the last couple weeks after the tweak, I mean, I, I you know, you got to take him. you got to take him. I do, at least. Uh, Michael Gallup, third, my wide receiver, 33. I'm pulling him down this low sort of to make a point. I don't want people taking Gallup thinking he has the upside to just, like, blow last year away. I don't see how it happens when you've got Cooper and CeeDee Lamb on the field and a great running game. I just don't see how it happens. Gallup will make some great plays. He'll have some great weeks. But I think there are going to be a lot of weeks where he's, like, 55 yards on five catches. I think there's going to be a lot of those. And not a knock on Gallup. I think Lamb and Cooper are going to have those weeks too. It's just there's only one football, and they've got five really good skill players on the field at any one time. But if you want to take Gallup a little bit earlier, I don't have a real problem with it. He's a good player. Marvin Jones, another guy, really good, excellent third receiver for fantasy. He'll take care of you for as long as he stays healthy. It's just the depth at the position that has him this low. Christian Kirk, a guy I could see people going, hey, Christian Kirk could be a wide receiver too this year. 
And you know what? On a typical year, he would probably be blinking that way. But on a year where there's this much depth, you have to sort of argue against people to get him to the wide receiver threes. Now, I'm loving Christian Kirk. I've gotten Kirk in the 10th, 11th, 12th round. So I've got him ranked higher than that, but he's a guy you can mess around with and steal sometimes. Next guy up is Deontay Johnson, a guy who you guys know I love, or at least people who've been reading Robon for a year. I love the way this guy gets off the line of scrimmage. He's dynamite after the catch. Um, really a good football player. Now, he's been dinged up, which is why I moved him down. Um, for those paying attention, you'll notice he was higher uh, a week ago than he is now. Um, in fact, while we're talking, I'm looking over on the wire here. And yeah, he still is not back at practice. Was hoping maybe he showed up today. Um, so yeah, Deontay right now is a guy who maybe he slips and becomes a real value for us. Uh, maybe he comes down past 100 at some point. Who knows? Um, look, if it, and this is what sucks about this preseason. And it's really, it's bullshit that teams are allowed to just say leg injury when they know it's uh, a knee ligament or an ankle ligament or, you know, a, a, a torn muscle or whatever. They won't give the specific injury. It's just so freaking weak. Um, and I mean, I, you know what? I'm not going to go off on a tangent here. We're already over at 50 minutes, but man, it really pisses me off that teams are allowed to do this. Um, so we don't, we don't know what the deal with Deontay Johnson is. Now, here's the thing: it's rumored to be a calf. If it is a calf, that's a bad injury. This is a this is an explosivity kind of player. This is a guy who gets off the line of scrimmage well. Man, if you've ever done some, you know, stopping and starting and running from a standstill, I mean. Your calf, like, just think about getting out of the batter's box, if that helps. Most of us know about that. Getting out of the batter's box after you hit the ball. Your calves are getting huge strain as you get that initial momentum. So if he's got a, a calf injury, that's going to hurt him where he lives and breathes. It will affect his play. It could easily make him the third receiver instead of the second receiver for a period of time. Not to mention, guys who come back too early from calves will re-injure. So good on Pittsburgh if they're taking an injury carefully that should be taken carefully but for us you know don't reach on Deontay Johnson I, d I definitely recommend not taking him higher than I have him ranked and quite frankly at this point as long as he hasn't returned to practice when you're drafting you know I think he's a guy you can start targeting maybe in that ninth round area and if he doesn't get to you don't worry about it because there's other guys we can take um, and you probably already are pretty you know, well off at receiver anyway. But having said that, I think Deontay Johnson, as long as he is back at practice before you draft, man, he's a good player. Real good player. Um, Julian Edelman next up on the list. Really hard ranking Edelman this low, but let's think about a couple things here. You know, he's no longer the binky. He was the binky, and now he's not going to be the binky. I don't think Cam Newton's going to have a binky, necessarily. Cam is his own binky. <laughs> he tucks the ball. That's his binky. So, you know, Edelman, I think from a target perspective, maybe is going to take a hit from a athletic perspective. He's what, age 34? Look it up. I'm pretty sure that's right. So, you know, and he's a guy who's had some trouble getting hurt. Hackett brought it up, I think, on the show last week, or maybe it was in a private conversation with me. But, you know, he's right. Edelman dropped more balls last year than he normally would. So we may be seeing the you know, the downside, the, you know, he's peaked and now he's on the other side of the mountain going down. Um, and it's just a question of how long he can stay viable. I think Edelman's going to be a good player this year. I just don't think he's going to be quite as good for fantasy, um, you know, as when Tom Brady was his quarterback, you know. Um, John Brown is my next guy up. 
but it's very important to understand that I'm ranking him aside to make a point. John Brown, as I said before, can go very late. So look at, and this is something I haven't mentioned enough, but it's something I mention every year, local ADP. If you draft on Yahoo, make sure you're using their ADP. It'll give you an idea of where John Brown can be targeted effectively. If you're, if you're on ESPN, use their ADP. If you're drafting in a real draft environment, in a room with people, combine a bunch of sources ADP. Go to Fantasy Pros. They aggregate, I believe, four sources for, P, for um, PPR. Really important to try to use the ADP that's going to best fit the situation you're in. Um, and John Brown's one of those guys where it really matters because if you're not looking at ADP at all, you might target him where I have him ranked. In most drafts, you're going to get him down where I've got like, you know, Brandon Ayuk, Deshaun Jackson, Jerry Judy, LaVisca, Sterling Shepard. Um, Sterling Shepard, how can he be so low? It's the head injuries. We'll get to that later. Um, so, you know, Edelman, like him, but some concerns. Brown, love him, but look at the ADP before you go jumping in. You might be able to get a great value. C.D. Lamb at 39. This is an upside rating. You know, I'm ranking him not at his ceiling, but I'm certainly ranking him well above his floor. Okay? It's, it's just a matter of C.D. Lamb has got the kind of talent. I mean, if something were to happen to Amari Cooper, and let's not kid ourselves, it's not like a long shot that Amari Cooper gets a sore foot. And, and by the way, you know, Amari Cooper's played with a sore foot a lot of times in the past. He might not be playing with a sore foot anymore. The Cowboys might just go, yeah, we got two monsters. We don't need to we don't need to play Amari when he's hurt. We need to make sure he's right for the playoffs. Amari Cooper may not be playing through injuries the way he has in the past, which could then, boom, just it puts um it puts our guy, it puts Lamb right into the thick of things. So to me, I'm taking Lamb, not necessarily where I have him ranked. I'm going to look at the ADP, the type of room I'm in. But he's a guy I love getting as my fourth or fifth receiver in the right situation because he could force his way into my lineup in more than one scenario. Um, next guy up, same kind of thing, Darius Slayton. Not sure what the Giant offense is going to look like this year. Schematically, from a route design standpoint, um, you know, last year in Shermer's scheme, Obviously, Slayton was great. Um, you know, if if that was all coming back, I would probably move Slayton up a couple spots. Um, you know, look at ADP. I've been consistently getting shares of Slayton in the ninth and 10th round. So, you know, he should be there for you as an upside guy right after you lock in your starters. He's the kind of guy we like taking as an upside because he's got the potential to knock most of your wide receiver threes out of your lineup. Exactly what we're looking for. Speaking of exactly what we're looking for, Jalen Rieger. I talked to Martin Frank, who's you know got his finger on the pulse of the Eagles. He's there in the camp, um, you know there every day. He's a beat reporter. Um, he says Rieger's looking really good. He's getting tons of action. Uh, I think he's going to be really active early in the season. Um, really like the idea of taking him as an upside swing. I actually I have him ranked ahead of Deshaun Jackson. Look, mostly because Deshaun Jackson, we never know he's going to lose a step. Probably not this year, but it could be. That's one risk factor. And this guy hasn't stayed on the field at all for the last couple of years. So, you know, and, and Deshaun Jackson, if they're smart, they're going to use him as needed. What they really want is Deshaun Jackson healthy and starting round one of the playoffs, assuming they get there. Um, but Rieger, love the upside. Um, you don't have to take him where I have him ranked. He will stay on the board a little longer sometimes. And you don't need to force Rieger because you might get Slayton or you might get Lamb. There's a lot, or, or you know, Henry Ruggs coming up in a couple guys. There are a lot of these upside guys. Don't focus on getting any one particular guy. There's a lot of them. But make sure you do get you know, 
two, three, four, depending on the size of your uh, bench. You want to collect as many of these upside talents as you can because these are the kind of guys who can force good players out of your three spot, right? Anthony Miller, next guy up. Maybe not as much upside as the others, although in a PPR league, you never know. Uh, but I think Anthony Miller is going to be real solid this year, um, assuming that that shoulder is doing well and he's practicing. Everything looks good so far. Jamison Crowder easily can outperform where I have him ranked. Um, I think I have him right around his ADP. Um, Crowder has looked real good in camp. He looked real good last year. He's got a rapport with the quarterback. The, the reason you don't lean in even more on Crowder, or, well, maybe you will. I mean, I can understand why some would. But the reason I'm not leaning more in on Crowder is because he is a player where any time he's gotten a steady flow of targets, within four or five weeks he gets dinged up. It's just the nature. He's a, he's a tiny guy. He takes a lot of shots. So uh, love Crowder, but he's one of those guys you just you play him when he's healthy. Um, Henry Ruggs, you know, not much separation in this area, by the way. You could easily put Ruggs where Lamb is or switch these two guys. Ruggs has uh, just a mile of upside, a mile of upside. People compare him to Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean, it sort of makes sense. He's that type of explosive athlete. Runs like the freaking wind, as we've seen. First receiver taken in the draft. When you take a receiver as the first receiver in the draft, you generally use him or you get crushed, politically speaking. So, you know, Ruggs, it'd be a, a major surprise if he was not given a chance to do some great great things this year. So for me, love getting a Ruggs or a Rieger or a C.D. Lamb in that 11th, 12th round area if I can swing it. Coming up next is another guy. Now, we've seen this guy for a couple years. He keeps getting a little better and a little better. Now, he's finally stepping into a scheme that that suits his talents to a T, talking about Curtis Samuel. Now, could he get lost in the flow of a five-target offense? You know, because we've got McCaffrey, we've got Ian Thomas, and these three receivers. Could he get lost in that flow on some weeks? Sure, sure. Now, I don't know how good that team is. I think they'll probably play, be playing even and behind a lot. I think they're going to throw a lot. I feel like Samuel is a value where I have him ranked, but he's not the only game in town for this type of player. Mike Williams is next. He was a little bit higher. He has a shoulder injury now. Um, follow him. Definitely a guy I like taking near the end of drafts if he stays on the board, but right now he's a guy I'm not drafting until I hear more about this injury. But you know what we know so far is that it's a shoulder and he could potentially be out week one. Um, and hey, that's that's a reason to fade a guy who has had shoulder injuries in the past. Having said that, you know, if we hear that he's doing okay, that he'll definitely be back, you're talking about a guy who now we might be able to get in like the 50s or later who has some pretty serious upside. So Mike Williams is not a guy to forget about. Uh, I probably will be pulling him a little bit further down in my rankings. Um, now, coming up, really, <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> the next group of players, there is so much upside. Um still left on the board and we're at wide receiver 47 now on my board okay and you know some of these guys I would love to rank them higher and I think they have a chance to end up being valued much higher depending on how things break down next guy up for you know rotoboners who go back a bit you know how much I love him Paris Campbell really a, just a huge fan of his film from Ohio State really want to see what he can do when he's turned himself into an NFL receiver it's a shame that he had a little bit of trouble with the runway last year had some injuries never really got things going sounds like he's having a much better camp sounds like he's going to be the second receiver ahead of the rookie uh, I'm really really excited to finally get a look at Paris Campbell I really want to see him stay healthy and I love the idea of getting him as like my fifth sixth receiver um, who could just jump up and, and become a monster I think the thing that people aren't 
realizing about Paris Campbell is that he could be a monster. I mean, maybe not. Maybe he ends up being a guy who goes off every now and then. But he has the ability to, to not just be some guy. He has the ability to just blow the doors off the joint, to be the next big thing after T.Y. Hilton uh, in, that, in that passing game. Um, so I love, I love Campbell. I've got him ranked really well ahead of his ADP. Again, go to your local ADP, and in my opinion, you come up with a draft plan where you get Paris Campbell. But don't pay too much. Don't, you do not need to draft him where I have him ranked. Again, look to the most appropriate ADP for your drafting situation, and then think about how you want to target Paris Campbell. Um, Brandon Ayuk, next guy up, a little dinged. Otherwise, I might have him a teensy bit higher. Um, you know, with Debo dinged up, um, with them hurting for receivers. Um, they've already had some season-ending injuries. You know, I think as long as Ayuk is ready for week one, he's going to do pretty well. Um, but he is a rookie. You know, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But right now he's at 48 because he's just the highest-ranked guy uh, in the 49er system at this point who's going to play. Um, now, you know, when it comes to San Francisco, this is one of those teams we really need to follow the bouncing ball. Over the next couple weeks, we may find out that Debo's going to be starting. And while that might not be the best news for Samuel owners, like I'd rather have Debo come back week six, raring to go 100%, than messing around, playing mediocre football, and maybe re-injuring his foot coming back too soon. We'll have to see how that plays out. But, you know, somebody's going to be worth something in this passing game. Um, next guy up, a guy where I think I'm going to be moving this guy up a couple slots in the next update, um, Mecole Hardman. I love Mecole Hardman at this point. And again, I, you know, this is another guy where a coach is like, you got to really think about this guy. He could be really good. And I wasn't buying into it until he went to Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. And then it became obvious, holy crap, this much speed in this offense you know, even this, even if Miko Hardman's a mediocre receiver, which I think in some ways he is, it just doesn't matter. His speed and this scheme, as long as he's not dropping the damn thing, he's going to be able to do some great things. Um, and obviously, the upside if there was a Tyree Kill injury is ridiculous. Uh, and uh, a Sammy Watkins injury uh, could make Hardman a weekly starter. So I love the idea of getting Miko Hardman on my bench. Next guy up, Brandon Cooks. Some people have Brandon Cooks ranked in the 30s, maybe even the 20s, for all I know. Hey, he is that good a player. I mean, let's be fair. Brandon Cooks is, is a pretty special athlete. Um, you know, but for me, and I'm really making a point putting him this low, I have no problem taking him as an upside play like the rest of the guys in this area. My problem is that I think he's the number two receiver on that team. And I, I'm really concerned about these head injuries for Cooks. I just have this bad feeling that the head injuries are going to be the thing that the thing that ruins his career. Um so, you know, listen, if you feel better about him in the head injury situation, you want to take him sooner than this, I can understand why you might want to do that. Next guy up to Sean Jackson, pure startable upside. Anytime this guy's playing healthy, like if Deshaun Jackson's been practicing all week and he's starting on this team, you put him in there as a third receiver, unless you've got some stud in that spot. Uh, Deshaun Jackson can have some wide receiver one weeks, even though he's being drafted way deep. It's, you know, it's the function of his age and the injuries he's seen over the last couple of years. But I would much rather have Deshaun Jackson than like a roster clogger like Golden Tate. Nothing against Golden Tate, but you know he doesn't have the kind of upside I crave. Uh, Jerry Judy, next guy on the list at 52. I expect a slightly slow start. Not because of him so much being a rookie, although that's a you know small factor, but you know I think this offense you know you know it'll sputter a little bit in the early going, but I think once it hits its stride, uh, Judy could be a weekly flex. Uh, next guy up, Lavisca Chenault. Um, as this preseason is playing out, 
He's doing better and better. We're hearing less and less about Conley and Westbrook. I'm starting to feel like LaVisca Chenault could be a thing. And he's definitely right in there with Hardman and these other guys in terms of upside guys that I want to target. Uh, Sterling Shepard, interesting guy. He's going to be higher on most people's boards, just like the other giant receivers. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about the scheme, and I'm a little bit worried about so many guys to throw the football to, and I'm worried about um, Sterling Shepard's head injuries. So uh, he easily could be a guy who makes me look stupid because Sterling's a good player, but the injuries have him down here. Uh, Sammy Watkins, boy, now this is a tough one. Watkins could easily be a guy who goes off and makes me look stupid. I'm worried about injuries. I'm worried about him being a little weird from the neck up. I mean, some of the stuff Sammy believes in is pretty out there. Um, but, you know, it's this is I, I'd say if there's one player on the receiver board that's driving me batty, it's like Sammy Watkins. Because part of me is like, man, who knows? Maybe this guy could go crazy. So I do think there's some merit to putting him on your bench and seeing him what happens. I don't have a problem with it. I'm just, I, I have lost some emotional... <laughs> support when it comes to Sammy. I'm just, I, I've been waiting for it for so long. The thing that, the thing about Watkins that has me not leaning in is that he seems to me to be playing a little too heavy. I'd like to see Sammy Watkins playing about 10 pounds lighter. I think it would help. Um, and you know what? Maybe that's what we see. Maybe he shows up in better shape this year. We'll see. Um, but look, he's another guy. He's worth a swing late, if you believe. He really is. Next guy up, Preston Williams. You know, Preston Williams, if there's an injury to Devontae Parker, which, let's be honest, it's not outside of the realm, right? Preston Williams, got he's got a lot of talent. And from what it sounds like, that ACL, which, you know, I was very nervous about, sounds like it's doing pretty well. So he's another solid upside swing. Golden Tate, probably a value where I have him ranked, but a little bit of a roster clogger for me. Brashad Perryman, really liked him, but this sore knee is starting to concern me. And again, we don't get information. I don't know how bad it is. So now I'm looking at Perryman as a late round guy versus a guy I was willing to lean into a little bit earlier than that. Uh, Robbie Anderson, I love the potential ceiling, but of the three receivers there, I think he's the one who could fit Bridgewater the least well. I don't I don't think he's a terrible fit, but I think the other two guys are really good fits. So, you know, you could take Robbie Anderson five, six spots earlier than I have him ranked. It wouldn't bug me one bit. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, you know, he's a guy who scores touchdowns. There's a void there for receivers. Uh, I think early on in the season, Bourne is a guy you can use in a flex, maybe even a, a viable third option as a receiver in a deep league. Definitely a guy we all need to know about. Sort of similar to the next guy on the list, Alan Lazard, who's just, you know, solid, you know, has a role. The quarterback likes him. You know, in deeper leagues, these guys can help you. They really can. They're, they're guys you don't want to forget about. Um, next up on the list is Debo, who's just sort of sitting there as a placeholder. Um... I'm in a holding pattern on Samuel. I love him. If I find out that he's going to get back on the field healthy this year, my attitude's going to change. I'm a little concerned about them forcing him back week one. So Samuel's a guy I want to get to put on my bench if I can in a deeper league. If it's a short bench league, I'm probably going to stay away from Debo, unfortunately. Uh, Michael Pittman, haven't heard a ton of him. Sounds like he's a ton about him. Sounds like he's having an okay camp. Uh, he's a depth receiver for me. I'm not sure if I see big ceiling from him this year. Justin Jefferson, on the other hand, I do see some ceiling, although I don't know. I mean, he's not he's not separating himself from the pack in camp. I guess that's not a good thing, but I really have trouble seeing Jefferson as being anything other than a good player. So he's definitely one of these guys where if I can stick him at the end of my receiver group, I'm pretty happy with that. 
Uh, Randall Cobb, I think, is going to have a good year. Not sure if I want to draft him. I think maybe I want to go after him in free agency. Same kind of thing with Manny Sanders. If he's playing really well and he's clearly above Traquan Smith, maybe he could be a pickup for me. Uh, Antonio Brown coming back maybe week nine if somebody wants to sign him. Hard to figure out what you want to do with a guy like Antonio Brown. Obviously, he could be a league winner down the stretch, but by the same token, you need to have a paradigm in your league where you can stick a guy at the end of your bench for more than half the season on the off chance that it works out. So Brown is sort of a horses-for-courses guy, could have a ton of value in certain formats, could be an albatross around your neck in others, and what's the point of getting him in Week 9 if you're already dead by then, right? (sighs) Take a breath. Um... T. Higgins is next up. Hasn't had a big camp, but he's got a ton of talent and there are injuries there. So Higgins is definitely a guy I'm willing to sort of stick on the end of my bench for an upside play. See how it shakes out early on. Maybe he's a cut. Maybe he's a hold. Okay. Mr. 69 on the board with the nice ranking. Mr. Brian Edwards. Here's a guy could be viable a lot higher on my board. I like Brian Edwards. He's got a ton of talent. He's got the alpha mentality, but obviously he was drafted after Ruggs. Now we're thinking about two rookie receivers on the same team. You know, I think Edwards could is a really good bet to be a priority free agent at some point or a guy who is a, a post-type darling next year. I think this kid could be really, really good, could be a weekly fantasy starter at some point, but buying into it happening in the first few weeks this season... I'm not sure if I'm going to do that. Now, in a deeper league, if you're playing a 20-round league, Brian Edwards got to be drafted. It's got to be drafted. Okay. And, I, you know, he's a guy who could move up my board a little bit, depending on how things are shaking out in Raiders camp. There's a lot of guys flashing around. Um, they have a lot of guys who are NFL caliber. So um, I'm still firming up how I feel about where I want to draft some of these Raiders, but Edwards is definitely on my radar. Uh, next up at the 70 spot is Andy Isabella. Isabella is going to be reflective of some of the guys we're talking about from this point on, the guys that I'm targeting from this point on. So the thing that makes Isabella you know, a viable target for me in this area, I know some people probably don't have him inside their top 100 receivers, maybe some do, but for me the reason he's here is just this offense the type of game he has, the fact that no team's going to be able to give him any extra attention. This guy's going to be in single coverage, and he's got a quarterback who runs around. Isabel is the kind of guy who will take those short gains and turn them into long gains and touchdowns. They just need to get the football in his hands. Uh, he's, you know, uh, people made some comparisons to him when he came out to Brandon Cooks, and I thought it was a reasonably good comparison. I think he's sort of a, a poor person's Brandon Cooks. He's got that kind of speed, uh, and he's a little boxy the way he plays. Um, you know, he's not a, a fluid athlete, but he's an explosive athlete. Um, again, in a, in, you know, when you look at this offense, teams have to deal with a mobile quarterback. Teams have to deal with New Hopkins. Teams are going to have to deal with Kenyon Drake and the mesh point with this quarterback and, and Christian Kirk's out there. There's a lot teams are already having to deal with and teams are getting pulled north, south, east, west because of the talent and the scheme, right? Well, gosh, there could not be a more perfect player for, you know, to put you know, as sort of a satellite on that scheme than Andy Isabella. They're going to hit this guy, and teams are going to freaking, they're not going to know whether to shit or wind their watch. If they can get Isabella to function in this offense, he's going to end up making a lot of big plays. Getting him at the tail end of your receiver group, I think, could really be a good thing. Now, do you have to move heaven and earth? No. If you don't get Andy Isabella, it's not the end of the world. But in especially in these deeper leagues where you're sitting there and some people are taking guys, you know, like Russell Gage, 
Fuck that. Take Andy Isabella, you know? I mean, Gage is a bi-week guy who'll give you like five or six points. Isabella's a guy who could force his way into your lineup. Much better to go after guys like that. Next guy up, similar kind of thing. Didn't have a huge rookie year, but he's a size-speed freak playing on a team that can extend plays with a mobile quarterback. Miles Boykin is who I'm talking about here. Big, fast, strong. Good blocker. Very good chance this guy becomes an every-down player this year, and if that happens, it's just a matter of time until he starts dropping big plays. Now, will it be happening with the frequency where you're going to put him in your lineup? I don't know. But at this point in the wide receiver group, you know, where we're, you know, we're in the 70s, why the hell not? Um, now, do you need to take him where I have him ranked? Hell no. This guy's barely being drafted. This guy's probably someone we're looking at week one free agency, but I play a lot of these 20-round drafts, and in those drafts where 240 guys are being taken and sometimes there's no kicker defense, Miles Boykin is big time in play. Um, more in play is the next guy up, Keneal, in, in Keel, Harry, excuse me. Now, Harry's going to go sooner, obviously. He's probably going to be a starter for the Patriots. And, you know, Hacken and I were talking about this last week. I think we either talked about it during commercial or on the show. I can't remember. But um, Inkill Harry is a good fit for Cam Newton. Stylistically, they're good fits. Will it work? We don't know. But I wouldn't mind having him on my bench just in case it does. Because if it does, he could score 10 touchdowns. <laughs> and that's the amazing thing with this wide receiver pool. We've got guys down here that are afterthoughts that in the right scenario can score 10 touchdowns. James Washington at 73 could be moving up my board if this thing with Deontay extends. Traquan Smith, love him. Now, the reason he's down so low, I would have him in the 50s. I really would if they hadn't brought in Sanders. But he and Sanders are going to have to fight it out, obviously, depending on how much wiggle um, Sanders has left. I mean, the great thing about Manny Sanders is the way he gets off that line and into his route. If he's still at that level, he'll probably, what, what probably happens is that neither Traquan nor Sanders becomes all that viable for fantasy. If one of them clearly gets ahead of the other, then they could be a weekly flex option. So, you know, and, and then the one other thing with Traquan is he's an ascending player. So if he happens to actually put it together, then he can maybe even move into the wide receiver three realm. You know, he's got that type of talent in my view. Uh, next up is Larry Fitzgerald. To me, he's a roster clogger. You never know. Hall of Famer, one of my favorite players ever. But at this point, not in it for fantasy. Next guy up is intriguing. Corey Davis, left for dead. Still a very talented guy. Um, the, the fact that he's on the Titans means, eh, you know, I'm probably not going to be entertaining him a whole lot, but I do think he's probably undervalued. And I also think people are underestimating his ability to take targets away from the big dog. Everybody wants to see AJB do all these things. And so do I, but don't be surprised if, you know, Corey Davis sneaks in there with 60 catches and six touchdowns and takes some of the top off of the guy we want to be doing all the scoring. He's got the ability to do it, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's playing for a contract. He's going to be a free agent. They didn't extend him uh, into the fifth year. Um, confirm that. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, next up is Marquez Valdez-Scantling, MVS. Now, he's got to either catch fire during the season or he needs to beat Lazard out in camp. Probably not going to happen. I think Valdez, again, if you're playing in a deeper league like the ones I play in, you stick him at the end of your bench. In other leagues, you just have to pay attention to this guy week one. Snaps and targets and how these guys look in Green Bay going to be really important week one. Because we may see a changing of the guard. I mean or an establishment of a guard. I mean, they need to establish some type of second weapon there. I think it's going to either be Scantling or it's going to be Lazard. If it's some 
floating combination of the two, then neither one are going to have much value. Uh, Hunter Renfro, look, the guy catches everything. You know, I'm not the biggest fan because I think he's so slight. I don't think I don't think he lasts at big volume. Um, and I think he's going to lose volume this year with all these other talented guys. In full PPR, at the end of a bench, I could see why I'd want to roster him. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, still very talented. Going to be on a team that has to throw. I've got him and Conley here back-to-back. One of them will probably be fantasy viable. The other probably will not. You'd have to be in a really deep league to target either one of those guys right now. Same thing with Cole Beasley. After that, we've got the Rams guys. Um, One of Van Jefferson or Josh Reynolds will probably have some viability for fantasy in deep leagues. My money would probably be on Jefferson because being a route person is more important in that offense. They want guys who can be trusted to be where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. Van Jefferson was raised by an NFL receiver, folks. He ran phenomenal routes as a sophomore in college, okay? Not the not the twitchiest guy in the world, but he's athletic enough, and the routes are beautiful. I talked about him uh, pre-combine, that I was just really impressed with how professional his film was. Um, Gunnar Oslewski, if I got that right, has been flashing in Pat's camp. He's a guy to watch. Chase Claypool at 85 overall is a guy who's going to be moving up my board a little bit if... Um, you know, the injury to Deontay becomes a factor. Now, this guy is such an athletic freak. And if you remember my pre-combine, I was talking about this guy like, wow, he's an impressive athlete. Um, So Claypool's a guy you never know. He's having an impressive camp. Roethlisberger likes him. Definitely a guy to keep on the radar. In super deep formats, I could see maybe using your last pick for him. But Unless there are injuries there, they've got two targetable tight ends. He's the fourth receiver. They've got multiple running backs. As much as I want to get on the Claypool bandwagon, the odds are against him breaking in to the degree where he's going to get fantasy-relevant targets. But still, this kind of talent you got to sort of keep your eyes on. Steven Sims Jr. in Washington. This guy could be viable. This, you know, by week four, this guy could be in starting lineups across fantasy leagues because they need places to throw the ball. And we saw that this guy can do things after the catch. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Denzel Mims with the Jets. Now, look, I've been a naysayer. He's having a bad camp, but the Jets are going to be a bad team. They're going to be in some games where they're just throwing the damn ball because there's nothing else to do. If this guy gets healthy and he gets into the mix, who knows? He can end up doing well. So Denzel Mims, if he's not a guy... If you know you're not in these big leagues like me and you can steal him on the end of a bench, definitely is a guy we want to keep our eye on in free agency. There may be a point where we start getting him on our benches because we think he's about to get a shot. Russell Gage, I'm fading because I don't see the upside. Alshon Jeffrey, I'm fading because I don't see the upside. Even if he gets to a point where he's healthy, there's too many guys on this team. So I'm just fading him. He, sh- I mean, I should have him ranked 20, 30 spots higher, but I'm just letting you know. I'm fading him. If you want to get into the Alshon Jeffrey business... You know, that's your business. So I was going to go to about 70. We just went to 90 because really, there <laughs> it's amazing, but there are still guys on the board after 90 receivers where I want you guys to think about these players. If not for drafting purposes in a big league, just to remember they're out there because they have some ceiling. Kenny Stills, an injury or two, who knows what he might be able to do. Dante Pettis, if the injuries continue in San Francisco and he continues this burgeoning (laughs) positive relationship with the head coach, things might be changing. I still think Dante Pettis can play. I know him in the minority. John Ross, now he's had a COVID thing. He's been with his family. But when he gets back, who knows what John Ross might be able to do. And they've got, you know, guys there who could be dinged up. Um, K.J. Hamler's hurt. But if there's an injury, who knows? He could have a ton of upside. Hakeem Butler hasn't done a hasn't done a whole lot, but you never know. 
Quez Watkins in Philadelphia. If there are injuries, this guy could be a run-and-grab guy on the waiver wire. Scotty Miller. I think there's too many guys in Tampa, but I have a feeling this guy's going to impress. Um, you know, there's still guys down here who matter. You know, um, in, a, in a big PPR league, Danny Amendola could be a factor. Uh, in bigger leagues, Zach Paschal could be a factor. Keep an eye on John Hightower in Philadelphia. He's been playing really well. Keep an eye on Trent Taylor in San Francisco if other guys continue to be hurt. Keep an eye on Nelson Aguilar if there are any injuries in Las Vegas, you know. The names just keep going. Joe Reed's a guy to watch, and um, you know, for the for the Chargers, especially if the injury to Williams ends up being something significant. Uh, lots of good players. I mean, we're down past my hundredth ranked receiver here. This is a really deep position. So we just hit on like ninety different receivers, and. Um, the receiver's an important position, like I said, largely because of that monster tier that allows you to be really aggressive with your running backs early and still be able to double dip on receivers that have, you know, wide receiver one upside. When I say wide receiver one, I mean top 12. So it's important to understand the shape of the wide receiver pool this year. It's, uh, it's important to understand how you can play it safely. Again, there's really nothing people can do to keep really good receivers from slipping into the middle of the fifth round. There's just nothing teams can do. They're going to be there. Now, Montgomery's injury does shake things up a little bit. One of those six-round receivers is now going to move up into the fifth. You know, so that's a factor. I should have mentioned that before. Um, but that's the shape of the wide receiver pool as I see it. Now, we've given you the quarterback draft plan. We've given you the tight end draft plan. We gave you the running back draft plan. Now I've given you my look at the receivers and how I'm drafting them. Hopefully you guys have a good idea of how I'm attacking this, uh, this draft class. What I'm going to be doing now every day is I'm going to dr keep drilling down the Rotobon 500 and keep updating the cheat sheets. In addition to that, I am going to form over the weekend one more podcast I'm going to do next week. The the freshest look at ADP we can give, basically, you know, the, the, going into that last heavy drafting stage before the start of the season, and we're going to get into who the best values are, okay, and who I'm really focusing in once I get, ideally, four running backs, four receivers, a tight end, a quarterback. Now we're looking at round 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, depending on the kind of league you're in. And I'm going to start talking about which players I really want to focus on in that area of the draft. That's sort of going to be my last little tidbit that I drop. Now, if you've listened to all four podcasts, you have a pretty good idea of these guys, who they are already, but I'm going to try to put a finer point on it, if you will. Apart from that, Jim Hackett and I are going to be live Sunday morning, as usual. And um, if I come up with any other ideas, I certainly will be dropping them. I'm going to be active on Twitter. And, uh, and this is actually, I haven't mentioned this at all, but it's so nice. It looks like we're really going to have a fantasy football season. Um, once I finally get all of this redraft content done, somewhere around end of next week, I will start leaning in on DFS content for week one. Uh, the one-man band thing gets a little tiring. but So I'm not going to really do too much juggling. I'm going to sort of pivot once I get all this 
you know, the, the Rotobahn 500 sort of nailed in and I'm just fine tuning it each day and that's all I'm doing, that's when I'm going to sort of pivot to DFS. But I've already looked at week one pricing. There's already some really good stuff in there. Um, like, this is not going to be a week where you want to do one lineup, I can tell you that. Anyway, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. It went on forever, but there was a lot to cover. Uh, once again, to all the returning Rotobahners, if you've never donated, this is a really good time to do it. It helps the site quite a bit. Uh, but go out there. If you've got drafts tonight or tomorrow over this weekend, go out and kick some ass. And um, we're not done. We're going to keep updating the 500. We're going to keep dropping information. We're going to do everything we can uh, to help you guys have great drafts. And the one thing I forgot, I will probably do, when I do that, here are some more players to target when we find up, when we've sort of you know, really firmed up that ADP as well as we can. I will probably do just like one top-down overview of the entire draft board, maybe round by round, what I want to do in each round, just to sort of give you an overall feel. Um, I mean, that's there if you listen to all four of these podcasts, but on the off chance that it's not tight enough and that you sort of lose it by the time you've listened to all four, I'll try to re-firm that up. But that's going to do it for today. Thanks for listening, as always, uh, and we'll see you soon.